And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Well, if you'd have offered me the highest scoring Manchester derby of all time on the 72nd minute, I'd have been overjoyed. I was expecting City might have gone on to truly embarrass United. Phil Foden had just made it 6-1 and there's never been a bigger margin of victory in the derby. And unfortunately, there still hasn't. We're going to talk all about that on today's Why Always Us. This is your Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Mooney. With me is Sam Lee. Hello, I'm glad you're I'm glad you're the City fan, because I think if that had been my introduction, <laughs> people would have been crying agenda. But yeah, yeah I'm glad you it's like uh, there was definitely that feeling, wasn't there? Yeah. Of, oh, this is a bit shit at the end. And I was like, I'm not gonna say anything on Twitter, I'm steering well clear. But when I saw like the proper birds tweeting, I was a bit annoying. I was like, yeah, yeah, fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that to you lot. And yeah. in this case, I've left it to you. I got thinking last night, uh oh, sorry, I'll, I'll, well first off, I'll introduce Paul. Hiya, Paul. Hiya, hiya. Yeah, there we I'm go. just let's, happy to hear Yeah, let's bring let's bring him in as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm just happy to hear that the concept bird is already on it on the first minute of the podcast. Yeah, so yeah. You got, got to go early after in a post derby uh, victory podcast. Yeah, Paul, I think. Yeah. Uh, no, Sam. I, I was sitting at home after the game last night, thinking, you know, six three is a scoreline that I would put into football's room one hundred and one. It has no business being <laughs> a, a football score. It's it's the it's no. the only one that looks and feels wrong. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It kind of. I know what you mean. But also, just in the context of the game, like six two was bad enough. But like six three. Like, okay, yeah, three-goal margin. But, like, City were just so much better. It should never have been, like, a three-goal margin. Like I say, 6-2 was bad enough. It was, you know, my, my hate for this is Germany missed a great chance to make 8-0 against Brazil. They missed the chance. And, obviously, um, Brazil made it 7-1. And it's like, that could have been 8-0. Yeah. Like, that is so much better than 7-1. And, yeah, that game yesterday, it should, it should have been tension. But, like, yeah. There we go. I, I, oh, just... well, I mean, the chances in the first half and then... With about 15 minutes to go, but after the subs, it was just like, okay, yeah, there aren't going to be more goals now, which was a shame, but kind of get it. Yeah, it was it was that moment in the first half that had me uh, really kind of uh, itching to, to to see how far it could go, and it was it was nil nil at the time. I remember texting, uh, <laughs> I, I was texting my partner just saying, um, I, I, how it's not one nil, I don't know. That we've had about three cleared off the line in the first yeah. like three minutes. It just it yeah, was ridiculous. Yeah. The, the chasm that was that was there between. I, I just the the game it made me think of Sam as well. Uh, do you remember last season how you said you were angry that Liverpool stopped against United at Old Trafford? That's what I was feeling yeah. at full time. Like, it, 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 it just shouldn't have been 6-3. I actually it, it remember just, thinking exactly yeah. that. But that, I was annoyed then because it seemed like Liverpool were just going for like trying to score spectacular goals. Like, I remember Alexander-Arnold sh- shooting from like 35 yards. And it was like, if you just play like, the pass to Salah or whatever, you're going to score again. So it was. I remember thinking last night, it was slightly different to that because it wasn't like City were just trying to do individual mad stuff. It, 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 just, like, it just evaporated. Kind yeah. of completely didn't it after the, it like making four subs it, yeah. and taking off yeah. danger because obviously Haaland's still on but the whole thing about Haaland this season has been he's not been changing games by himself it's when they give him the ball and then they stopped basically as far as I can remember in the last 15 minutes they stopped giving him the ball and that was that you know you take off Foden De Bruyne and Grealish then that's going to happen yeah 
Right. Uh, well, you can read everything on that game and on City and more in The Athletic right now for a pound a month for six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod and sign up. You also get these podcasts as well without the ads, so you can sign up at theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod. Um, Paul, I guess that that was the decisive factor, I guess, at 6-1, wasn't it? The fact that, uh, you know, you're bringing Mares on for some form, Laporte on for a bit of fitness, you know, Palmer on for some experience. It, it just makes it that, that disjointed that in many ways, I'm, I am a, I'm, I'm sad that it didn't finish at 6-1 again and, and just kind of like roll out to that but you know yeah still yeah. still three points still you know yeah. you don't, don't get don't get any more points for scoring the record number of goals in a derby yeah I, I i can see like the excitement of of seeing like a bigger margin of the win i i i actually felt like in the ground that the 6-1 was not an enough margin to reflect how good city was was and how bad united yeah. was so i guess that the 6-1 was was not even enough but yeah, I mean, I guess that Teb was, of course, like seeing like the big picture. If they do things like they like they are expected to do, they could have like the first place of the Champions League group almost sorted um, on the next coming weeks. So I guess that Teb was thinking about that uh, as well. Then they have the game at Anfield, so better like give some uh, time off to Kevin De Bruyne, to Foden, to Jack Grealish, to. Gundogan, because you have Rodri off now, uh, and Calvin Phillips out as well, just um, let's see for how many weeks. Um, so yeah, uh, basically thinking on the big picture for the, um, yeah, um, I'm sorry for you, David, but yeah, I think that <laughs> Pep did like, kind of the right thing in terms of team management, but the wrong thing in terms of fan excitement. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, just, I know we're here to talk about the derby as well, but just on Rodri Paul, uh, do we know how long he's going to be out for? Is it a long-term thing or is it uh, just maybe a little niggle knock? Uh, not not really. I don't really know it. Um, I think that the fact of um, seeing himself on the morning of the game that he couldn't play, it's not like a good sign. But I don't know if he's going to be off for a lot of weeks, to be honest. Um, I think that City were planning to do more scant and just to know more in the coming days. And as of now, I don't I don't have anything new to say. Yeah. Um, Sam Ten Hag becomes the sixth United manager in a row to lose his first Manchester derby. It was uh, Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Solskjaer, Rangnick, now Ten Hag. Nice, uh, little, nice little detail. Yeah, well, I suppose it goes. It just ties into the whole, you know, the overriding narrative of United of you know keep they keep kind of changing managers and players and nothing changes. It's just it's just that again, isn't it? But I suppose the alarming thing for United is it was just that kind of halfway house pressing again, wasn't it? Like the forwards kind of did a bit, but they weren't really backed up, and so all of a sudden, yeah. City. One of my favorite things about football, and I was thinking this before the game, and it turned out that this was an exhibition of it. One of my favorite things about well football, but watching City play is when they make a couple of passes in their own like third and then all of a sudden it's like a 4v4 they're out you know they played through the press they're out and it's a 4v4 and city is sprinting up the pitch like the way they do that is masterful and like united just kind of played right into their hands and that's how so many of the goals yesterday came about and but was it was yeah, it the go, second to, phone on, one that was really like a, a real example of that? I seem to remember like Grealish, yeah. Grealish, yeah, Grealish got, out. Yeah. Grealish got the ball, but like Grealish was like halfway in his own half. Yeah, like yeah. like I think Anthony went up to press and like nobody followed. The Grealish had the ball, he carried it a bit, gave it to De Bruyne. No, that that was the one for De, that was the third goal. He third gave one. it to De Bruyne, and then De Bruyne curled it to the back post for for um, Haaland. But then the Foden one, yeah, when he got to the back post was fairly similar. That started with the De Bruyne run from deep when he carried it and then gave it to Haaland and Haaland 
crossed it. But it, basically, like, it's hard to keep up because that just kept happening. So, yeah, if you're talking about, like, United losing records, continue for managers, like, the alarming thing for them isn't just that, you know, City won, but it was like, what kind of philosophy would you call that? But anyway, that's that's for that's for a different podcast. Yeah. Shout out to the fellow who sits behind me who, um, when I think it was the fourth goal, uh, I think Gundogan did the, you know, the um, the, the calm down hands. You, you, the, the different types of hands, isn't there? There's like the po- apologetic hands when you've scored against your old club. There's like jazz hands when you've got like, like you're um, doing a dance of whatever. But you've got like uh, the calm down hands where it's like, like just like take the pace out of everything, just slow everything down. Yeah. And uh, there was an opportunity to break, and the fellow behind, uh, one of the fellows behind me, was like, "No, get it forward, get it forward." There's, there's, there's <laughs> space. And Gundogan was just like, like to the rest of the team, just calm it down. And I think like they, they then played three or four passes in, into uh, their own box, knocked it back to Edison a couple of times, and he was just going, "Oh, why, why are they knocking it around here now?" And then they had like two or three more passes, and they were in. Just, yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. just one of those like you need you've not been paying attention to how City have played for the last six years if you if you're getting wound up by this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is exactly the case. Although when, you know, when we knew Rodri was out and Diaz was on the bench, I was like, oh, is City going to be like kind of overly concerned about United's threat on the break and just play like really, well, just like slow and cautious and, and not give them, you know, space to run, as Guardiola says. Um, but obviously the the way the game panned out, even from the start, and Michael Cox has done an article exactly on this, on The Athletic, about how United's pressing was just so easily opened up. And, mm-hmm. you know, me and Paul have, done an article and um Paul providing this bit about that's what they worked on in the build up to the game. You know, they, yeah. they identified how United were going to press and like, okay, this is how we're going to do it then. So I won't talk too much about that because that will come up in the podcast and Paul can do it better. But um that's yeah, that's just how the the game panned out and it, they didn't need a thousand million passes all of the time. But I mean they definitely could have been a bit a bit safer and I'm just talking about Guardiola's reaction because Guardiola's reaction was yeah well but we're not good enough at simple things and we're giving easy balls away and he said important players are doing like sloppy things basically which is definitely like an interesting thing to keep an eye on but in in the spirit of like reviewing that game I, I don't think you'd be picking too many holes beyond you know United scored two goals later on which was a bit annoying but I mean yeah, it was just yeah, like yeah. Paul said earlier even 6-1 wasn't enough to yeah. explain the golf it was mental like 4-0 at half time was like this could actually be anything but inevitably, because the football games are like that. It never, never goes are. out of that. It never goes that way, does it? Yeah. And everyone at half time was saying, oh, they never normally are like this, but maybe this one. And I was like, yeah, maybe this one, but no, not this one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> and but- maybe, no, maybe none ever. I do feel like City are going to score 10 against somebody at some point. I, I, I did say, I said in our WhatsApp group actually with uh, a few other City fans, it will be uh, a travesty if, if, if Guardiola leaves City and they've not hit 10 at any point in the in the league because it feels like they've been so close on a number of occasions. Um, yeah, and maybe I they I, need to be like 2-0 up at half-time yeah. so they don't like <laughs> feel the need to ease off and it just gets easier and easier and they kind of, like against, because when they played Burton, obviously there was like a massive gap, but I don't know, maybe maybe it was like 5-0 at half-time or something. But I feel like they always need to be like 2-0 up and then all of a sudden, between like the 60th minute and the 80th minute, they've scored five. And it's what, like, was, okay, really what was Watford when they, when they hit eight? Was that, was that five? Nine, to be time? fair, that was like four oh, nil yeah. after like 20 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, Paul, just on um, the the defensive selection, then, because uh, that I, I guess that was the only eyebrow raised, other than um, Rodri being injured in the in the in the lineup. Um, Ake came in for for Diaz. I texted Sam before the game to say, you know, I wonder if it's the kind of like the left right balance um, that that has that has really 
kind of gone for this. Um, but I also wondered if, if maybe uh, you look at the way that Diaz defends. He's he's very aggressive coming out, and I wonder if he if Guardiola wanted a bit more control with Ake. No, I think it was basically part of the plan. Um, I think that the part of having one left-footed centre-back and another right-footed one was key for the way that City wanted to play out. Because I think, and I think that this was like the most powerful um, side of the win, just the feeling of how City toyed with Man United. Um, Sam was like talking about the pressure and this article that Michael Cox is planning to write on the on the Athletic but. I mean, you, you, you could see from the pitch that City knew all the time where the spaces were. Just, just didn't matter if it was Bruno and Rashford who, who pressed the centre-backs or Anthony and, and Rashford. They, they could go to the left flank. They could go like straight to Haaland, who I think that he, he was playing more of a roaming role. Um, he was like not just to fix the centre-backs just deep down on their line, but just, yeah, just being a bit more deeper, just... Uh, playing the ball with with Gundogan, um, this was part of the plan. And just to just to be better on this, um, uh, Pep and the backroom staff felt that they needed like to uh, one left footed centre back and one right footed centre back. Of course, I don't think it's an issue of the way that Ruben Diaz marks and Nathan Ake marks because Pep asked to be like that. This kind of aggressiveness to all the centre backs and Ruben Diaz does it, but Nathan Ake can do it if he. Um, is in a situation that he has to do it. So I don't think um, it had something related to that. But yeah, basically, Akanji hit the ground running and Akanji has been great. Um, he's quick as well. And I think that he proved in the game against Man United that he's really good with his feet too. Um, because probably in the first games against Sevilla or some games that he played, he didn't want to be or to assume too many risks with the ball. But we could see that, I mean, he can take them and he... Is gonna be okay, like doing like uh, aggressive passes, progressive passes. Um, yeah, basically, just every decision that Pep took went right. Um, and you could see that there was a preparation, there was a plan uh, behind that. And that, yeah, just that's that's kind of the same decision that if City had lost the game, would have turned uh, out like in a negative way, just the overthinking debate and all that yeah. stuff. But I think that most of the times, having a manager like that is gonna pay. Um, off with good dividends. Yeah, Sam, I didn't think we'd be uh, this early in the podcast talking about the defence, but uh, I, like, I do... Sorry about that. Have we no, talked no, about no, any of no. the fucking goals yet? No, not properly. <laughs> we will come to that. Don't worry, everyone. But uh, I do want to I, I do want to talk briefly about Akanji because um, a couple of people said it to me, and I was thinking it um, during the game, that the way he reads the game, the way he steps out, and even the way that he, he takes the ball under control, he reminds me of company. Yeah, a few people have said that. Um, some somebody I sat next to uh, during the game uh, said he's better than company. I won't let on who that was, but we'll. Um, that's a, that is a discussion for another day. But yeah, he yeah. does. He does like we talked about. We talked about this, didn't we, after the Wolves game? Because I was like, he looks like a mixture between company and Fernandinho because yeah, he's a yeah. bit smaller, and obviously he wears number twenty-five. But he's kind of got that width. Although when he was in the mix zone afterwards, he didn't look that big. But on the pitch, he looked absolutely massive, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, he, he is very impressive. He step, you know, he steps up and wins those those duels. Um, you know, against got, Wolves, how many kind of block tackles did he make? Um, there was one. 
I think Grealish left him short and he stepped up. Yeah, the tackle, it was then, the first goal. Yeah, yeah. that was. Was, the first was, yeah, oh, was that the first? Because I just had the, the game was just on a minute ago when I had the TV on, and that yeah, that yeah, was that the was one the that led goal. to the shot. That was the as far as I remember. That was the. But again, this happens so often. These kind of moves. That was the one I think where Varane blocked the shot, hurt his ankle. City had a few more shots, and then they got the corner, and then they scored from the corner because that was when Grealish made a bad pass. But Akanji won it back. So that was exactly what he was doing against Wolves, kind of stepping out and making those kind of block tackles and blocks and winning the jewels and all those kind of things. Um, but I mean, yeah, he is. Yeah, look, you can't compare to company now. That is ridiculous. Yeah. But he does look like early, he, yeah. he is playing very well. Um, but I mean, he's better on the ball. But what you would say about that is he's a centre back who was born. Well, how, how, how much younger than company is he? About 15 years, a bit less. Like you would expect that generation of defenders to be better on the ball than the previous one. So that's like, it's not like a big shout and it's not a controversial one. But in like Paul was saying about his progressive passes and like like I'd said Guardiola had mentioned after the Sevilla game that he can break the lines like Diaz, but he hadn't actually done it. I've been keeping an eye on it to see when he has, and he is getting more and more confident with that. So yeah, it's been a hell of a start. Like yeah. Considering City didn't expect to, well, City fans didn't expect him to sign anybody, didn't expect a centre back to come in. And then it was like, who's this guy? All I know about him personally was that Dortmund were desperate to get rid. It's like, he's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And he seems like a really nice guy. Obviously, Paul's interviewed him at length, but we had him in the mix zone briefly yesterday. And it was a shambles. Like, it was the usual <laughs> questions about the derby. But then we had, to write, we had to write this up. We had to write these articles, this article about you know how City prepared, how they you know you know how they celebrate it. But obviously, me and Paul were like, "Well, they're going to celebrate it by just going home and eat like food because yeah. they've got a game in a few days." But then, so Akanji had like he was in the mix and he had like a big paper bag like filled with food, and it was only like three questions yet. And I was just like, "What have you got in the bag?" And he laughed. He was like, "Food." I was like, "Yeah, go on, what?" And he was just like, "Oh, it's like lasagna, salad, potatoes." He goes, "I got a bit of everything because he goes, I just just moved house. We haven't got a lot of stuff, so this is for my." me my wife and my son um and then they and then everyone was asking him about his maths because you know he can do like um, oh the stupid yeah yeah the can do, yeah like the times tables basically yeah so everyone was asking him about that and like loads of questions about that and then somebody said we've got this program countdown over here like <laughs> what did he say? i can't remember if you yeah. said are you going to put it on or would yeah, you go yeah, on yeah. it i, I can't because i kind of just walked away and kind of like mock like just like surprise and shock and horror i, was like, I can't believe we're fucking Asking yeah. about countdown here, but it was just one of those kind of days. Like, you know, it's just it doesn't always have to be. Are you sending a message to Liverpool? You know, blah blah. blah. Can you win the Champions League? Blah. It was just like, are, are you going to go on countdown? Then. It's a very different question. Yeah. <laughs> it is a very different question, but it just goes. Yeah, like I say, like he was, he just, he just came across as like as a really good guy, and he kind of endured that line of questioning. And it, I suppose it'll be interesting to see if he comes back. But we were like, can we have a like couple of questions? And he was like, yeah, I'll go and sign these shirts first, and I'll come back. So I can't say further than that because yeah, there was loads of kids nice. down there wanting um, shirts signed and stuff and he, he did all that and then he came and yeah, put up with our bollocks for a few minutes. Yeah, it, Just if anybody's wondering, um, absolutely yes, you pick four big numbers on Countdown because then your opponent immediately goes, oh, I'm not, I can't, I can't work this out and actually it's not actually that difficult. It's my, uh, okay. my, my okay. take on Hot take. Well, next, when, when we speak to him at the end of the season, I'll see if he agrees, yeah. if he's been yeah. watching it and if he's picked up on that. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get back to the football poll. Uh, let's move a bit further up the pitch uh, uh-huh. because, uh, yeah, I know. Um, the, the thought of having no Rodri did cause me a bit of stress uh, ahead of the game. In the end, no need for that stress because... As much as as we we always think of one game in particular where Guardiola played Gundogan as a holding midfielder, yeah. um, like he can do it. Like the number of times he's done it far outweighs that one Champions League final. And the Champions League final, the problem wasn't that Gundogan was a holding midfield. There was other structural problems in the in the setup yeah. of the team. Yeah. So um, I'm just wondering if. <sighs> to give Rodri a bit of rest while Phillips is injured, could we see Gundogan there a bit more? Well, he will have to. He will have to because I don't think there are many options in there. Um, I think that there was a game like um, some weeks before that John Stones played like 10-15 minutes at the end of the game as a kind of holding midfielder. But yeah, I I mean, I don't see anyone better than than Gundogan to fulfill Rodriguez and Calvin Phillips' gap. It's a bit of a Shame or a pity to not see Calvin Phillips because he was signed partly for those kind of situations. If you have like a last-minute injury uh, with Rodri, just to have that guy that can perform well um, without like taking Gundogan possibly out of place. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, City won a league, uh, winning 14 games in a row with Gundogan playing as a number six, as a holding midfielder. So um, I guess that we should have no doubts about the ability of of Gundogan playing as a holding midfielder. And I can remember that in some interviews he said that he enjoyed playing as a holding midfielder or as an attacking midfielder in the same way. Um, he just wants to play football and he can perform like in any role. And yeah, I guess that probably we're going to see the same against Copenhagen if Rodri is not back. Yeah. I do feel a bit sorry for Gundogan in, in that regard, Sam, because I do wonder if if uh, part of the reason why we feel... Maybe we feel like we haven't seen the best of him is because he's, he's he's been a bit of a utility player for City down down the years. He's been happy to Gundogan kind of... in terms of yeah. seeing the best of him. Well, well, we've seen the I best think of he is. him. I, I but think we've seen the best of him. But this, is, this is what positions. I mean. But this is what I mean, is that you, you, I, I don't necessarily think he... It doesn't feel like he's excelled at one particular job in the in the way that other players I, have. I think he's excelled at loads. That's what I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Oh, okay. Uh, so, you, so you end up okay, in a position... Yes, then, you, yeah. end, you end up in a position where you go... Um, like he's He's been shunted and shoved around the team so much that it, you kind of... You, you have a bit of a, of a meshed image of what he does, if you know what I mean. Uh, I think that in the COVID season, he was, if not the best player in the team playing as an attacking midfielder, I think, well, he was top scorer, right, of the team? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think Gundogan, I mean, he just on the day he leaves the club, because, of course, he's on a tricky situation now with the last year of contract. I don't know. I don't have any information if he's going to extend the contract or not. But um, the way City fans have to remember is like a guy that can excel in basically everything you put him on a... Yeah. But in a in a in a football pitch, and he has done it in a city shirt. That's the that's the meshed image I've got. It's like you can either put him as like an attacking midfielder making runs into the box, or you can put him as the holding midfielder, like yesterday, kind of calling yeah. the shots or somewhere in between. And like 
it's the, it's the tenacity off the ball for me. In fact, that was one of the big things from yesterday. Like we talk about like, the space that City create and um, like, the amazing forwards that City had, and even Grealish, who I thought had a really good game. Yeah. In terms of using that space and using the ball, and it's a shame he didn't score, but I'm sure Guardiola will appreciate what he did. And you know, next time he needs to pick a team, maybe he'll make changes for for Copenhagen. But when he needs to pick his strongest team to beat Southampton, I'm sure Grealish will be in it, and I'd like to think so. And all of these things, but it's just that tenacity to win the ball back. And if you talk about bad signs for United, they just don't. The way it's just based, like people say the word passive, but City, whether it was nil nil or six one, the way they tried to win the ball back was incredible and Gundogan's so good at that like he couldn't do it so much yesterday because you got to hold your position but I remember at the end of last season like after the Real Madrid disappointment and then playing Newcastle on the Sunday like Gundogan was just so good at like winning the second balls and just yeah. being so tenacious and, and that's a side to his game because you know if you ask me what my vision of him is it's but being that like metronome, you know, the, the short passes, the dictating the tempo. But, that, but then you've obviously got the, the goal scorer element, those great runs into the box. And then you've also got just so good off the ball. He's, he's, he is fantastic. Absolutely. That, that's the hands thing I was talking about, though. He, he knew to, he knew to yeah, slow the game yeah. down at that point because, because there was a better break the to go. Yeah. Next, the next thing to David Silva that they've got. Yeah. Yeah. New, new, uh, kind of knows when, but, knows when again, to go. Like, when well, to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but while we, well, but in terms of like getting the ball and giving it, you can dictate the tempo with that, and you know if you you know if you need to go backwards rather than forwards to to keep the the tempo of the game, that kind of that kind of thing that David Silva knew so well. But again, if we're giving out this praise to Gundogan, then again, you know, it's exactly the same for Bernardo Silva, isn't it? And I yeah, thought he yeah. was amazing. Just controlling the game. Just he's just again, it was like when he came on against Dortmund for fifteen minutes, but for like the whole game, it's just yeah. great. I I wonder with Bernardo sometimes if uh, like it, there's there's two sort of images I have of him uh, where it's like very much like you know when you throw a, a a ball for a dog and they just they just lo- absolutely love chasing after that ball and coming back and then chasing yeah. it again and like just like you think how have you still got energy to do this like like Bernardo just he, he never he never seems to slow down but it, it just reminded me of that Liverpool game in uh, 2019 where it, 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 it's almost as if Guardiola kids him every time and says, look, give me an hour, give me an hour of absolute flat-out running, and then, you know, we'll we'll slow it down, we'll make a change or whatever. And then the hour comes along yeah. and, and Guardiola goes... Give us a, se- give us yeah, a season ten, and then we'll let you leave. Yeah, ten, <laughs> ten more minutes, ten more minutes, and then it's... Uh, um, then, then, like, ten minutes goes by. It's five, just five more minutes. And before you know it, he's, he's chasing the ball down in the corner flag on the 91st minute, and he's still thinking, oh, like... The energy that this guy's got is in, is incredible, um, and he was Paul. He was he was dictating certainly City. I I I felt he was a big way of a big part of City's press against United, and the and the reason why uh, why City kept putting or kept forcing United to effectively boot it out of play in the end. Yeah, a big part of City's press and a big part of um, United's gaps in midfield because I think that Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva just they just pushed. Scott McTominay and Eriksen so deep, so back that there was a like an like an enormous gap, an enormous de- desert in the middle of the ground where Jack Village just stepped in. I think it was in the third goal, right? He just was free to run there. Um, yeah, they are just Kevin and Bernardo, like especially, they are so intelligent that they have that they know um, how they have to move just to create spaces without even touching the ball or or when they don't have the ball where they have to position themselves just to fulfill all the spaces and just create what City needs. I mean, th- those are the sort of players and the, and the sort of knowledge of the know-how that 
I mean, you you cannot pay this. This the, there is no money that that can buy this, um, and it's something that you learn by just training every day and just by being intelligent, like from a food, from a, from a footballing point of view. Um, with Bernardo, there is also like a sense that he kind of toys with opponents during the game. I mean, he kind of like um, feints to one side and goes to the other side. I mean, it looks like that he could have a laugh while playing and just dribbling past players um, with with no one getting near him. Um, yeah, it's just basically just a joy to see Bernardo. And I'm happy that he can thrive in a country where, like, years ago, I mean, probably he, he w- wanted to value like a <laughs> midfielder. Sorry, yeah. mate. I said a country that he hates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and uh, I was just—I just wanted to point, like, to raise the point of the stats that, like, years ago, you would write like a midfielder by a stat, and just Bernardo, you—you you just don't want to put stats on him. You just want to see him and enjoy yeah. him. It's too reductive, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too reductive just to value a player like Bernardo. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pick up on the thread of um, the that uh, Paul said there, Sam, that uh, money can't buy it. Because predictively, the narrative uh, from some after the game was how nobody could ever compete with City again. Uh, at one point, I believe Gary Neville said on commentary on Sky that it was unfair that City had Haaland. Uh, but I, I didn't hear it, so I don't know how tongue-in-cheek it was. Yeah, presumably um, the context was a bit different. Although yeah. It's hard to know which hat Gary Neville's wearing when he talks about City. Yeah. Um, so just uh, like just in numbers then, uh, since Ferguson retired, uh, which was uh, United's last title in 2013, uh, City have finished above United in all nine seasons. City have won five of those nine titles. Uh, City have 12 major trophies to United's three. Uh, City average 85 points a season compared to United's 68 points. Uh, but in all of this, the rough total spend of the two clubs is City at about $1.3 billion and United at about $1.4 billion. Um, I'm not here to nitpick and say, oh, well, look at how much United have spent more than City sort of thing. It's Both have spent a lot of money. But it just goes to show how well City have spent it and how well they've invested it and how well they've coached the players there. It's not about simply money spent, is it? If they, In this situation, United could, if they got things right, have competed with City. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have loads to add. I mean, I feel, I just, I feel like I've said it loads before and maybe I'm missing the bigger picture i'm sure some people would almost certainly say i am but it was like like that's that season the pandemic season when city started off fairly poor by their standards and then turned it around it was like well is that is that money like if if it was because of money they should have been great from the start yeah and then the money just can't just kick into gear halfway through the season like yeah you know, obviously there's like massive advantages and if we're talking about city beating southampton by like a massive score then you kind of have to be like, well, you know, look at that squad compared to that squad. But when you play against Man United, it it just makes the point for you. Like I feel bad because I'm sure people, whenever they read my article, you know, obviously loads of City fans are like, oh, well, he's a United fan and he's kind of covering us. And whether they like me or not, you know, that's just what everyone assumes is the case when I'm writing or whatever. And everyone kind of tries to assume your agenda um, when when you make a point about football. So like, whenever I write about City and just say. Like, I feel bad for using United as a punching bag. Like, oh, by the way, they spent more and they're absolutely shy. But like, I, I, people who don't know me would be like, oh, he's just a City fan. He's kind of making a cheap point. But I'm not. Like, it's a very like valid yeah. comparison. But the only other thing I've, I'd add because it's a whole other podcast is 
if 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 City are still doing this and they're so good and they're so dominant after Guardiola's come in, then okay, maybe we're then being harsh on his successor for doing a brilliant job. But I've always said the the big difference is Guardiola. You know, City had big financial advantages um, before Guardiola, and yeah, they won the title. Okay, fine. It, it, it goes to show that you, you can win the title. But to get to this level and to the level to be so good that people are complaining about it, I think that's obviously the combination of the money. But it's Guardiola, and you take Guardiola out of that, and it's just not going to be like that again. Yeah. Afterwards, yeah. Um, but we'll see. You know, maybe they get the appointment right, or maybe it is. Maybe it is just you know you spend loads of money and success is guaranteed. But as you as you pointed out, it's not guaranteed, is it? Because look at United, and it's not even a cheap point to make. It's just entirely valid. Yeah, I mean, the the I'm wondering, Paul, how much of the gulf between the two sides uh, on Sunday was was kind of ten years worth of work in you know in kind of forward planning in the way that City have set up. Guardiola talked on Friday about the about the hierarchy. Um, we didn't use it on the podcast because it was it was embargoed for for later in the weekend. Um, but he he talked about you know City not being reliant on Guardiola and and how United had, had not had the the hierarchy that City have got at uh, in in terms of forward planning. Um, I don't know how much I buy it because I do worry about what follows Guardiola after he's gone because I do think he is a big part of what what City are doing right now and, and how well they're playing. Um, but equally, like I. <laughs> He is right. It won't One be a disaster, the, but it yeah, can't be yeah. that. Yeah, there's there are huge structural problems at United that don't exist at City, and I'm and I'm wondering how much of of the control that City exert in the derby comes from that comes from the last kind of ten years of of City building to get Guardiola in in the door. Yeah, here are basically two points that um, the main difference between City and United is the hierarchy, is um, the structures like um, inside the club, um, how one. Re- unreliable has been United in the past and how reliable has been has been City with just just the fact of Pep being there, just having some concerns about the centre-backs and just uh, Chiki and Ferran providing him with an extra fifth centre-back with no one even questioning why City needs five centre-backs. They just say, OK, Pep wants it, Pep feels that it's what the team needs, so we're going to give it to him. That's That's the whole point of it. That's the whole point. That's how the club, how City is just structured and how they have managed to build this team, which is so embedded with the manager, which is basically like the personification of what Guardiola wants in a team. And it's what hasn't happened with, with Man United, basically. Because when they want to sign someone, they have to, well, they have one person in the club that has some doubts, and another person that's, that just suggests another name, then another person that thinks that they don't have to spend like any kind of money in that role. So that's like the main difference. But that's one point. Then the second point is, what is going to happen after Guardiola that no one knows right now. Um, I agree with you, David, that the Guardiola is like a fundamental part of it. And it's like the, like the yeah, just, just a fundamental part of it, basically. And from him, everything is structures around the club and everything like is settled in the place that they need to. Um, and it's, it's going to have to be seen what happens next. But I think that as long as Chiki and Farhan and this kind of football people are involved, the next decision is going to make some sense. So the club is going to have a manager that can make some sense with the style of football they want to play, um, yeah, with the type of players that they want to sign. So in that regard, as long as these people are involved, I don't think that City will go really far away from the way that they, want to, that they are performing right now. But then, of course... Pfft, 
no manager in the world probably is going to be as successful as Guardiola is and with the win rates that he has and with the numbers that he has, of course. Um, but yeah, um, I think that that's, that's just going to be the state of things, knowing that it's an unpredictable thing and that none of us uh, can know right now what is going to happen um, whenever he decides to leave. I don't know if it's going to be next summer or if it's going to be later than that. Yeah. He could, uh, for my money, he could just do resigning that contract as soon as possible because uh, I don't, I don't really want to contemplate what comes next. So uh, here we are. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's talk about hat tricks because uh, we kind of got a bit deep there, away from the game. So uh, let's let's go back on to the football. Um, Harland and Foden scored City's first and second Premier League hat tricks in the Manchester derby. Uh, Sam, do you know the only other player that's uh, that's scored a hat trick in a derby? He has played for City. Uh, I mean, just, the way you just, say that makes it sound like he scored it for United, but he did play for City. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he did. He did. He scored it for United right. because uh, Harlan scored City's first Premier League um, hat trick in the derby. So, um, oh, oh, God, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Carlos Tevez? No. Um, uh, Andre Kanchelskis. Oh, Jesus. Ah, uh, right. Everyone yeah, forgets okay. he played for City in uh, 2001, but uh, yeah, came on loan from I mean, I've Rangers. Got well, I think. A, <laughs> a full house on that. Yeah, full house, though. Uh, only other uh, hat tricks in uh, Manchester derbies for City uh, Francis Lee in December 1970 and Horace Barnes yeah. in uh, October 1921. So uh, the game on Sunday doubled the number of hat tricks that City have ever scored in the derby. Um, it made it a uh, hat trick every 47 uh, derbies instead of uh, every 94. Um, just, just kind of on Haaland and, and Foden as well. Uh, I tweeted uh, on Sunday evening that um, Haaland and Foden were both eleven the first time that David de Gea conceded six in a in a Manchester derby, <laughs> um, wow. and I I followed that up with uh, wow. I was That's I was twenty three. Yeah, I was twenty three when uh, when that yeah, happened. Yeah. Um, and somebody, I'm going to, I've got, like, sports fans, at soccer underscore BB, uh, with a rather mean reply that was, you were older then than they are now. Yeah, yeah. That's wow. actually correct. That, that's mean, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that, is, that is horrendous. That, like, I, I've never felt older than, than that now. Um, it, was, it, was just, it was a remarkable uh, afternoon with, uh, with the two hat-tricks. Harland especially. Uh, fastest to three Premier League hat-tricks, eight appearances, beating Michael Owen's record by 40. 40 appearances in the Premier League. Um, Harland, the first player to score three home Premier League hat-tricks in a row. He scored a goal every 13.6 touches this season. Um, a quick bit of maths from Duncan Alexander at Opta. Early Harland's on course to beat Alan Shearer's Premier League record of 260 goals uh, on Saturday, the 27th of February, 2027. 
Uh, so that would be before the end of his five-year contract is up. Um, Haaland scored one hat trick for uh, for. This City. year, he didn't do it in like, didn't do it in five years either, did he? Which yeah, is even more exactly. Uh, yeah, um, but Haaland has scored one hat trick for City for every goal that his father scored for them. Uh, that was from uh, from Richard Jolly, and his goal run for City is two zero one three three one two one one three. He's had one game this season where he's not scored and he got an assist. So. Like he's he is ridiculous. I like I'm I, I'm I already thought he was going to be good, Sam. But this like the signs are that he's settling into the Premier League, really. <laughs> yeah, well, like like I said, there might be little elements of his game where Guardiola says he needs to improve on this, but the rest of us will be talking about his goals, so it won't matter. Like I was bang on with that, but I'm only saying that to illustrate the point that I did not think he'd have this many goals. You know, I thought how many games has he played? Uh, uh, eight. 10 or something. Eight in the Premier oh, League, yeah. Competitions yeah. as well. Yeah. So, oh, let's just say the, the 14 and 8. Like, after eight games, I thought he might have had, like, eight, let's say, or nine. I, I didn't expect, you know, all these ridiculous things, like three home hat-tricks in a row. And and just this that general feeling that this guy is an absolute animal and he's going to absolutely smash it. Like, I, I knew he'd score goals, but not this many. So... Yeah, people yeah, people exactly. say at the start of the season that uh, well, if he gets if he gets somewhere between fifteen and twenty goals, then he's had a good season. It's like he's nearly there. Yeah, there was the. I mean, I saw that. I saw a tweet earlier on. You know, making your bold claims for the Premier League season, and somebody said Callum Wilson will score more goals than Haaland. And like, there was a lot of Gab- there was a lot of Gabriel Jesus will score more goals than Haaland. A lot maybe like if an injury gets in the way, then yeah. But it's like have a like, have a bit of, have a bit of respect, I guess. But yeah, in, just in terms of those like predictions at the start of the season it was like yeah like, it'll do all right but you know maybe it'll you know maybe it'll take some time to adapt and do you remember after we did the community shield podcast and i was like i'm glad i didn't have to write about that game and if it was up to me i wouldn't say i wouldn't say a single word about harland because i said gabriel marcotti marcotti probably did this the right the best way to do it if you've got to write about harland he probably did the best way to do it because it was basically just don't worry about it it's fine it was one game it doesn't matter he's going to be great um but my approach would be it's not even fucking worth wasting the bandwidth. It's not worth re- wasting anyone's time to even talk about it because it is going to be fine. It's not a talking point. We don't need to discuss it. And lo and behold, here we are. Like, the guy's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, and like, genuinely unbelievable as well. He's, like, he's got those like poacher's instincts. If he was like five foot nine, it would everyone would, would feel a bit better about it. Like, because he's just this goal scoring poacher that, like, not one of the best player Premier League players of all time, but a ridiculous goal scorer, like a kind of rude Van Nistelrooy kind of thing. In terms of he's got loads of goals, but nobody's going to say, oh, he was one of the best. But he's massive and he's faster than probably any striker in the Premier League. And he's got all it. That, that's what that's the unbelievable thing about it is it nobody's kind of seen like physically that kind of combination of footballing attributes and the physicality is like very rarely scene because obviously like, Ronaldo's big and muscular and scores loads of goals but like Haaland's just like just even like bigger and broader isn't he and yeah like, the pace is there as well yeah frightening yeah Paul there is uh there was a, a discussion that I overheard um at the game uh, like let's say that that he he doesn't extend his contracts at City he stays for four or five years or whatever before he, he moves on to Real Madrid there is still the very real Kind of prospects in all of the, in that short time that he could still end up as the greatest striker the Premier League has ever seen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in terms of numbers, I'm not sure that he's going to be up there. 
um, uh, I mean, there's, um, I didn't expect either like that he could do so many goals in so few games. Um, but yeah, it just reaffirms just the the uh, the the size of the numbers that he can get up to. Um, I mean, every time that we speak about Haaland, I think that we have to highlight like a different aspect of his game because I mean, it's <laughs> it's been like uh, every week like speaking about him and we're running out, we're running out of things to highlight. Though, yeah, no? yeah. But I'd say I think that I saw this stat that uh, Joao Cancelo and Ilkay Gundogan has been caught offside more times than Haaland this season. Which kind of tells you a lot about like his movement. Um, I think that how he moved, like in kind of a circular way, sometimes not like in straight lines. Um, and he just relies on his like physicality and his speed just to start his run like a couple of steps behind the center back, just to yeah, just to make sure that 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 he's not going to be like in an offside position. And then he knows that he's going to run past him easily just to get the ball in the box in a position just to score. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not just the fact that he can touch the ball three times and score three goals. It's it's the fact that he's so intelligent to know how to move and to know how to wait and when is the right moment to, yeah, just to make his play and not being offside and, yeah, just make the best of it. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's absolutely wild as well. I've just been on the uh, Fantasy Premier League uh, website, and I know like I know nobody likes Fantasy League chat, but you know here we are. Um, the lowest he scored in a game week is five, uh, and that was the that was the Bournemouth game where he got uh, got his his single assist and and what was it eight touches. Um, like I, I, you can't go through this season without risk with the with by not captaining him every week. It's just like you can't take that risk anymore. Um, Sam, the, the you, I mean, if we are if we are going to do if we if we are going to do this fantasy football chat though, I looked at I don't know how the bonus point system works and what's a good score, but obviously you get like three bonus points, two bonus points, one bonus point. But within that, you need to there's like an individual league table, isn't there, for bonus points, like for how many you got on that particular system. So like Foden got sixty four on this bonus point system for his hat trick. And he said that was enough for two bonus points. Haaland got 102 on this bonus <laughs> point system. Like, obviously, for the goal and, and the assist. And you just think, well, the two assists. And you just think, that is mental. Like, if, if, we're, if we're putting it just in kind of numbers in fantasy football chat, like, I, I don't know what, like, a good bonus point score is. But I sent that to Nader when I was like, is that normal? And he was like, no. It goes, Foden's is really high. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that like, the player that can is, do, th- uh, like, in a regular game, can do three points with... 30, 40 at most points, right. like bonus points. If you do like 30 or 40 score, you, you're going to have three bonus points. Yeah. Um, just looking at, at, at the, number, the, number, the number of times he's got three bonus points this season. One, two, three, four, five of his nine games, he's got three bonus points. So... Uh, just yeah, absolutely ridiculous, man. Uh, the other the other stat I was going to um, send you away, Sam, was uh, the record for competitive goals for a single Premier League club in a season. Uh, so the, the club is in the Premier League, but the oh, goals yeah. are in all competitions. Uh, is uh, forty four uh, joined with Van Nistelrooy and uh, Mo Salah. Haaland is more than a third of the way there this season already. Yeah, it is mad, isn't it? And I mean, it's it's just horrible that whenever you have these conversations, you've just got to say. If there's no injury, um, yeah. look, City might have a bad patch of form, but it still feels like even if they have a bad patch of form, he's still going to score like three over five games or something. You know what I mean? He'll still he'll still be getting towards 
44, you know, rather than like breaking Alan Shearer's record in five years, which is like mad chat. Like he could, like he could still get at least 30 anyway, like even, even if he doesn't carry on at this kind of ridiculous pace. But again, like chances are City get better. Yeah. So where does that leave you? Yeah. Yeah, that was well, that. That was my feeling on the performance at the weekend, though, as well. Is one of the reasons why I was disappointed it finished six three. Is I think it was City's best performance of the season, and they, like it looked like they were just you know knocking it up through the gears. So uh, yeah, well, the thing is about talking about Haaland is we've had to talk about Haaland so much because obviously he scored, but there's not been loads of other players to talk about in terms of like oh he was amazing this weekend. Like with Grealish after the Wolves game, it was like, okay. Well, Grealish is a good little talking point because he scored the first goal, and you know there was all the, the pre match chat about it. But like Foden hasn't had a like a top level season up till now, he's been in- inconsistent. I still think De Bruyne has been in- inconsistent, you know, so far. Even though he'd got more Premier League assists than anyone else, it hasn't been like we're not going to talk about Haaland this weekend because De Bruyne has been amazing as well. Because he hasn't, and neither's Foden. But yesterday, you're right in terms of it being a, a great performance. Like everybody played well. Like, yeah. Everyone actually, everyone played really well, didn't they? Yeah, and it's like, it's it's unfair. The front of three us. were great. Like De Bruyne was great. As we talked about, Gundogan and, and Bernardo were great. The centre backs were great. The full backs, okay, yeah, were great, were great as well in a less kind of obvious way, but absolutely fine. Carry on. Yeah, and it's uh, it feels unfair, uh, Paul, to to not finish uh, with uh, a word on Phil Foden because uh, you, you can't you can't score a hat trick in a Manchester derby um, and uh, and completely get glossed over because the other guy that scored a hat trick is a is a robotic freak. Um, the youngest player to score fifty goals under Pep Guardiola, uh, he's uh, twenty two years and one hundred and twenty seven days old. Uh, when Messi hit it hit fifty goals, he was twenty two and one hundred and sixty four days old. So he's about a month uh, older than Foden is now um like uh, it's wild because as sam said i don't think foden has really hit the ground running but since that severe game he's he's just been getting better this season yeah yeah and i think he he is a guy that well apart from the fact that i think that pep has mentioned a lot of times that kevin de bruyne for, for instance he he needs a bit more time to get like up to speed when he comes back from precision or an injury and phil foden is not like that he can like be in a good form uh, pretty much easier. Um, but I think that he's a guy that even when he he has not been at his best at the start of the season, maybe, he just works so hard and he just makes everything uh, of what the team asks to him that you cannot drop him. You cannot drop him for them. Um, and yeah, basically what, what we saw at the Manchester Derby was probably like the more, one of the most lethal versions that we have seen. Uh, about him because I can remember like on the first minute just after the halftime that he recovered the ball from from Luke Shaw and he almost scored a hat-trick just in there with the right foot shot. I mean, um, you you could see that he loves to be in the box. He loves to, um, yeah, just to be like in those positions and just just give him time, give him time and just put him like in a good context for him. And he has everything just to blossom. And I mean, he's one of the best world talent and we probably forget that because we see Haaland week in week out and it's probably more impactful for the strike that he's had um, for them. I mean, it's one of the best talents in the world and there's no discussion about it. Yeah. Um, that third goal, Sam, I was utterly convinced he was offside and I thought it must have been yeah. really tight because uh, they, they took so long checking it, but they were checking it whether the ball was out of play, weren't they? Yeah, they were. They were. Um, it which would have been... Because they, they checked... Oh, no, no, no. They checked the ball was out of play for... Harlan's hat trick, I think. 
Oh, was it? I thought it was. I thought yeah, it was outside was, again, because I because I'd said to my dad, it must be really tight because it because it took it took a while. They did check both, um, but yeah, with the offside, it was one of those that when the flag just stayed down, I was like, well, it must be onside then because there's no way it could be that offside, which I thought it was, and I think a lot of people around me in the press box thought it was offside because it looked it. But there's no way it could be that offside, but the linesman think he must be on. So it was like, okay, it must be fine. Um, yeah, there was a long check. I can't remember what it was about, actually. But the thing about that goal, I didn't write about this in the article because it's like a bit of speculation, but I remember that when Foden was coming through, he had chances to score goals. And to be fair, they were more like volleys. And maybe he's just not very good at volleys. But I remember thinking... He's weighed up the situation in his head here. He's thinking, this is my first goal for City or first goal at the Etihad or whatever it may be. And he's made a mess of the volley. And I, I always remember thinking, maybe it's all sort of flashed through his mind and he's made a mess of the execution. So then yesterday when it's like, shit, I'm on side here. I've got loads of time. I'm on a hat-trick. It would have been very easy to kind of just miss that chance. And, you know, just that kind of classic way that in the last couple of years, City have missed really good chances. Yeah. And then he just. And in that case, it's kind of like, oh, I've got too much time, sort of, yeah. Yeah, but, or like, I mean, look, I suppose you'd never, I don't think a pass would have even been on because it was quite a strange move that led to it. There was there was nobody to square it to. But just the weighing up of the situation and then the finish was just so emphatic, wasn't it? But like, he didn't, like, he didn't lace it. He just kind of just in stepped it in. And like, yeah, it just, that, it was an, an unbelievable goal. Um, and again, if, like in the article I did where I kind of break it all down. Like just three United players just kind of looking at Haaland like oh god what's he going to do and I'm forgetting to actually get near him and forgetting completely about Foden just like st- a staggering goal to see in kind of all respects really yeah I uh, I just wish I th- he's he's in a really special position as well because he is one of uh well, only a very few number of people on the planet and in, in recorded history who is a City fan who knows what it's like to be able to score and then shush the United fans. <laughs> was it just incredible for me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. He, just, he just loves it, doesn't he? But like, they're all at it. Like, and, and, and that's the thing as well. Like, when you see the pictures of the celebrations, you see how they're all, all the City players, they're all loving it. And they're all just amazing. Like I saw a picture earlier and it was like Haaland, Foden, De Bruyne and Grealish celebrating. It's like, what a collection of players that is. And then there'd be another one with Bernardo in it and Gundogan, as we've mentioned. Like, they're all just unbelievable and they all absolutely love it. Like, there's that, there's that angle from behind the goal of Foden's first goal and, like, Cancelo's, like, pointing to the badge in front of the United fans and stuff. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. all at it. They were loving it. Yeah, Bernardo loves it. It's, it's a great group of players, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Bernardo. I remember Guardiola was saying, like, years ago, like, 2018, maybe 2019. He was like one of the things he loves about him. He's like he goes, watch how he celebrates other people's goals. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a it, it, it was a good day. Let's uh, let's put it that way. And uh, that's uh, that's probably a nice note to end this week's Why Always Us on. So thank you to Sam Lee. Thank you very much. I just remember Carl Walker got injured. So we'll oh shit, yeah, that, I forgot about that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was only when I mentioned the fullbacks, I was like, who did play fullback? And I was like, I remember Cancelo playing. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. Carl Walker injured. Yeah, we'll, we'll deal with that, that next week. Once. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like they might need to give him a rest because it keeps happening, doesn't it? And there's a World Cup coming up. So yeah. someone's going to have to be sorted out there, even though obviously Guardiola's priority isn't the World Cup. But yeah. Anyway, see you later. We'll see. And uh, thanks as well to Paul Bias. It's been great. Thank you very much. Don't forget, you can sign up to The Athletic right now for a pound a month for six months. Just use the code MANCITYPOD. The Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.